Barrow, Alaska is the northernmost town in the United States. Its population of about 4,000 is mostly native Alaskans. And while the town has homes, businesses, and schools just like other American towns, it is a place where century-old traditions still influence life. Here on the shores of the Arctic Ocean, the temperatures can stay below zero for days and weeks on end. There are no trees for hundreds of miles, and during the winter, the citizens of Barrow will not see the sun for over two months. Join me on this trip to visit with lifelong Barrow resident Phoebe Kippy on the American countryside's scenic route. People know that Barrow's way north, but tell them what it's like living here as far as how cold it gets, how warm it gets, the snow, and so forth, because I think people are fascinated just because it's so far north. Well, for one, we don't live in igloos, and we don't have dog teams. We do have homes made out of lumber. We do drive trucks and SUVs. Um, The coldest temperature can be about minus 50, and the warmest winter temperature is like minus 15 if that's even any warmer. (laughs) You mentioned as far as snow, how long would you have snow on the ground here? About nine months out of the year. What is summer like then? (laughs) The summer is kind of like a fall time weather. Um, Most days it is cloudy, overcast, it may rain. Um, the warmest temperature we had this summer was about 68 degrees. The rest of the summer was in the 30s and 40s. It's one of those things where if you don't experience anything different, you don't. that's just what you expect, I guess. That's all. I've never seen anything over 70 above. And having been born and raised here, I don't know that I want to experience it because that 68 was as hot as the underworld. (laughs) (laughs) Now tell people, because they may not realize this, you can't drive here. We cannot drive in or out. It is accessible by plane only. Yeah. And you have some barges that come in the summer, some to deliver some bigger stuff, I guess. Yes. A lot of the lumber, some of the vehicles, some um, building equipment, they do come the end of July up until mid-August. What's it like in the summer? Because you have a lot of days where the sun... Never sets, is that right? Yes, it is um, like two months where the sun doesn't set at all. By then, you know, everybody, they stay awake all day because it's, or no, they stay awake all night because it's typically a lot nicer 3 o'clock in the morning than it is at 3 p.m., but you can't hardly tell the difference between the two. Why is it nicer at 3 a.m.? I'm not sure. That's just how it is here. It's just nicer. The wind dies down. I mean, the birds are chirping. The birds can't tell the difference either. (laughs) (laughs) So then what's it like for the two months when you never see the sun? It's dark and it's cold and people get stir crazy. They get cabin fever. I mean, I don't really know any other different having been used to it. So... There are times where we do miss the sun and we can't wait for it to rise. What do you do in the winter as far as do people have any activities or things that they do to keep them busy and uh, since they don't have the sun and you can't, it's cold and so forth? I mean, they still go to work. The children still go to school. I mean, life does continue. It's just dark. There are street lights and the moonlight, but no sunlight. Uh, life just goes on. Yeah. Northern lights, so you have those throughout the winter? The northern lights are more so seen in December, probably November as well. But it does have to be clear. A lot of times there is clouds. It is overcast. So they're not always visible. 
tell me about going to school here. I don't, did you play any sports where you had to travel or, or not? I was not so much into sports, but everyone kind of pushed me to play basketball because I was one of the more taller girls in the class. I did play basketball and volleyball for fun, but I wasn't ever on any teams. But the teams here... They have to fly to play the other teams? They do. The high school students, they do fly the basketball, football, volleyball team. They fly students in and out, and the local students fly in and out as well. You just got a football field. We sure did. (laughs) Tell people about your football field. It's a pretty colorful football field. We do have a pretty awesome blue and gold astroturf that was donated by a nice lady by the name of Kathy Parker, who resides in Florida. I want to talk about a little bit about what goes on here with the families and, and whaling. Well, maybe you want to talk first about the tradition, because, I mean, that goes way back. And now, because it is a activity that's gone on here forever, you're still one of the few communities that's allowed to go out, out and, and hunt whales. There are several of the whaling communities communities along the north of Alaska that are allowed to hunt, Um The spring hunt is very traditional. We use the skin boats made from the bearded seals. The thread is made from the caribou tendons. They sew the skins together, and about March, they put them outside in the winter, and they sun dry and bleach until mid-April when the spring whale hunt starts. All right. And then the groups, is it kind of family groups, or how do you describe as far as... uh you had a name for it. It's not a, a group, but what, what are the groups in it? It's a whaling crew, and it is mostly consistent of family members, um, extended family. It may just be a very good friend of yours that enjoys the hunt as well, but mainly they are con- made out of the uh, family and extended family. All right. So like you mentioned, your in-laws, like how big, and you're part of that crew, so like how big a crew does your family, I guess, have then? We are one of the smaller whaling crews. Um, we have been actively whaling since 2009 for the spring and fall hunt. We're not a very large crew, not compared to some of the other whaling crews around Barrow. I'd say we are one of the smallest whaling crews with about 20 people, 25 max would be my best guess. All right. Then you said your other half's co-captain? Yes, he is the co-captain. His father is the captain, and his mother is the captain's wife, and I am the co-captain's girlfriend. (laughs) So tell people then, how does it work as far as trying to hunt a whale? Because it's a process. I mean, they've got to go out in the ice and everything you're telling us. Yes, the captain usually scouts out on the ice, and he'll pick a spot, and whatever the captain says goes. They start to break trail. It takes two to three weeks for them to break trail. They make a trail that is smooth enough to traverse over. Once they hold the whaling captain's ceremony at the church, that's when the whaling season starts. And then the, that crew will go out there and then sit on the, the ice. Are, they look, are the whales passing close enough then that they're seeing them from shore, or do they have to go out in a boat? They may have to um, go in the boat. Oftentimes they do. What they look for is the whale's blow. It's the spout that they see. And if they see that, that's when they jump in the boat and they paddle their way to the whale. Oftentimes they are lucky enough where the whale comes close enough to the ice edge that they're able to strike the whale from the edge of the ice. And they do not need to go in their boat. 
But it's quite a deal. I mean, you you need to know what you're doing as far as harpooning oil. <laughs> yes, you. Um, the captain um, has a lot of knowledge as well as his crewmates, but. There is one designated person to harpoon the whale. They need to know the exact location where to harpoon the whale in order for that to be a successful hunt. And they have to be pretty strong as they may be throwing the harpoon 10, 15 feet away. So once they've hit that whale then, I mean, it's quite an ordeal then to be at, well, number one, they've got to make sure that the whale dies, you're telling us, but then to get it onto the, the ice is a big deal. Yes. When they do harpoon the whale, and if it is a successful hunt, um, they do pull the whale onto the ice. Depending on the ice conditions, it goes very smoothly, or it may take several hours as there's this thing called global warming, which is an effect here in Barrow, where we have seen um, the ice packs, they have been melting a lot faster. We've had a pretty warm spring. Um, It was about 30 degrees, and the ice did start melting and it made for unsafe conditions and the um, some of the ice was not strong enough to hold the weight of the whale as they were towing it in. Do you just tow it with manpower? Is that? Yes, we do um, secure it with block and tackle systems and a tow rope, but it is all manpower other than the block and tackle. So one thing I didn't ask you then, if they've gone way off and gotten the whale then, where do they do the butchering? In the springtime, they butcher it out on the ice. Okay. Right. In the fall time, they bring it ashore. Got it. But the springtime, it is covered in ice. So if they get one out there, then you go out there because you're part of the, the crew then that does all the butchering? Yes. I would go out there by snowmobile, and um, I'd have to find someone to take me out there, which is usually another crew member or my other half. Tell people then – there's a right size of whale that you want because uh, there's a difference in whales. Yes, the whales do travel in pods. Um, the mothers and the calves travel and then the older adults and then the elders. So there is what we call a butterball, just like a turkey would be nice, round, plump, and juicy. And that's the most ideal type of whale would be a 25-foot butterball, but as the season starts to progress and we get in the mid-Mays, that's when the older whales start passing. That's when they're 48 up to 60 feet in length. And um, that me- that muck duck, which is the skin and the blubber, is a bit on the tougher, crunchier side rather than the smaller butterball, which is nice, plump, and juicy. How long does it take then to do the butchering process? Depending on the ice conditions, um, if the ice is strong enough it and they get the whale out on the ice in a timely manner, it could take anywhere from 6, 10 to 24 hours. Then when you bring it back in here, there's a kind of a tradition that everybody's kind of invited. Is that right? Then you begin to serve some of that whale? After the whaling crew has um, prepared the captain's house, the women usually cut all the different portions of the whale, and they would then cut it and start cooking it. And they would um, 
put them in serving-sized portions, and the elder of the family would say grace over the radio, and the captain then invites everybody to get a serving-sized portion of the whale. So when that happens, like everybody, 4,000 people in Barrow all come to the captain's house? They sure do. They line up outside and they grab their bag one by one. They say thanks. They say congratulations. They go home and eat the freshest dinner. <laughs> so how many times will that happen in Barrow then, like in, in spring and fall, that that's going to happen then usually? So long as a whale is caught, there will be a community feast. Every time? Every time a whale is caught. This season we caught nine whales, so they had nine feedings from each of the captain's house. And then in the fall, you might have about as many again? Or? Depending on the season, it could be less, it could be more, but same concept. Huh. Then the extra, they have, again, you'll have to help me with the term, but they, they basically bury it underground. Is that right? It's kind of your freezer system. Yes, it is an underground freezer system, which is called the ice cellar. Does your family then, for the most part, live, because you're, you said your other half has caribou and all, do you pretty much live off of the, the hunt then? We do. A lot of our dinners are fresh. The meat is fresh. I guess it's like free range and as organic as you can get. I mean, we're not buying any of this from a local grocery store. I mean, a steak would cost pretty well, you know, close to 30 to $40. And that 30 $40 we can use easily on gasoline to get more meat than one steak would feed. Well, that's really important because like at your grocery store, I, I don't know how to compare it, but to bring food in here is expensive. It is, yes. Um, the majority of, of it is brought in through airplane cargo planes, and they add on the price of the cargo. So... I would say most of everything is double or even triple the amount where we would pay anywhere else in the States. But you mentioned you figured out one good way to get free shipping here. Amazon Prime. (laughs) (laughs) And you order a lot of stuff through there. We do, yes. I love Tide Pods. (laughs) That's the detergent I use to wash my clothes, my children's clothes. We get our trash bags from there, from Amazon. Um... When my son was in diapers, I did the subscribe and save. So I saved on diapers as well. So a lot of Amazon Prime members here in Barrow. And it doesn't take two days, but it is free shipping. And I guess that's what really counts is the free shipping. (laughs) (laughs) Before we wind up, does it ever, because you're doing tours, does it ever amaze you how many people want to come to your hometown? It is. I mean, there's people who are so amazed by our culture, by our town, and they expect to see igloos and dog teams. But what they see are buildings and vehicles. And there's so much water and tundra. And a lot of people are fascinated by the ocean. And to me, it's just water. I don't know what the big deal about the Arctic Ocean is. I mean, I did grow up around it. So that might be a difference. But we get those few people that like to jump in the ocean, and I would never do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you said the only people that get in this ocean are tourists. Pretty much. The only people that jump in are the tourists. (laughs) (laughs) And this hotel that you're here at is the, is it the northernmost hotel in the world, I guess? It's top of the world. It's known as the top of the world hotel, yes. Yeah. 
Well, it's a place that a lot of people want to come, I guess. So. Well, pretty much anything here can be the farthest North American anything. I mean, we could point to the broomstick and say, this is the farthest North American broomstick. <laughs> <laughs> Your airport here is named after two guys that grew up in the Midwest and, and, and died exploring up here. Yes, Will Rogers and Wiley Post. They did crash land 16 miles south of Barrow, and our airport is named after them. Yep, have a memorial here. We There is an in-town memorial, and there's a monument in the exact location where they did crash, 16 miles south.